0: Favorite comfort food, <laughs> Justin? What is your favorite Asian comfort food? Oh, God, there's so many. <laughs> um, it's a really hard question. Of all the questions, this may it, be the hardest
1: it one. It truly <laughs> is. I mean, there's rarely a time that I'm not craving Asian food. Mm. Um, rare, rarely, rarely, very rarely.
0: Hello and welcome to Someday Is Here, a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women on our ethnic journey and leadership. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and we are so glad you're here. Well, here we are. Can you believe it? Season three is upon us and we're still in the middle of the craziest year on record. Um, I don't think any of us would have ever guessed what 2020 would look like. Um, it's definitely a one star. Uh, would not recommend, you know, not very good. But we're making the best of it. And one of the ways that is really bringing me joy is thinking about gathering together um, in a, and bringing to you some incredible women for season three. And so I am so excited. Um, we are here. It's season three someday is here and um, I am so thrilled for our team expanding. We will have Elise Zumi. She has received her master's degree from UCLA in Asian American Studies and she is the brilliance behind the did you knows. Um, I'm so excited because not only do we want a space for Asian American Pacific Islander women, AAPI women, to explore the journey of living uh, biculturally or in many cultures but also um, the dream and the hope is that some days here would be a resource place where we would have some robust uh, learning going on about culture and history and so I'm excited for Elise to be joining us as well um, all of the things that we've been talking about will be found in the show notes which I'm excited will continue to grow and um, evolve and um I'm just, I'm so glad you're here. So please keep sharing the podcast with your friends. It's been so fun to see how the podcast has been reaching farther and further. Um, and just the feedback we've received has been so encouraging. So thanks for being here. And today's guest is Jocelyn Chung, and she was born and raised in Southern California, and she's the proud daughter of Taiwanese immigrants, and we talk all about that today um, in her journey. Uh, Jocelyn is wildly talented. She is the brains and the heart behind our Some Days Here logo, and she goes into detail explaining the textures and the colors and why she chose what she chose and the the meaning behind all of it and it's just so beautiful i cried during our interview after she shares about her journey um honestly i really can't tell you how much i enjoyed hearing from jocelyn and i think about who she is and i think about all that she has yet to do and i just cannot i cannot stand it it's so great so enjoy today's show Welcome back to Someday Is Here. I, I think I look forward to every week being able to interview fantastic, inspiring, sensational, gifted, Fiery, amazing Asian American women, and so today is no different. I'm so thrilled. I've actually, truth be told, have been trying to get Jocelyn Chung on this podcast from season one, but it's finally happening. And Jocelyn, as you heard earlier in the intro, she is a graphic designer and artist. She's the beauty and brains behind our someday is here. Um, design, which is so fabulous, but she has such a rich story and legacy, and I am just so thrilled, Jocelyn, for you to be here, so thanks for joining us. Yay, thanks, Viv, for
1: having me. This is really exciting, yeah.
0: Oh, <laughs> I love it. Well, we're just kind of pretending, you know, we're still all in shelter in place. We're kind of pretending we're having a boba together Yes, on an afternoon where it's warm here in Southern California, so... <laughs> That is so great well Jocelyn and I know each other from
1: I'm trying to think like when we first met do you can you remember um I I just knew because everyone would talk about like oh do you know Viv like I I joke <laughs> I joke that Viv is like crew staff like uh, a list celebrity <laughs> and so when I came in as an intern I was like whoa. Oh. Who's Viv? And you're like, oh, you have to know Viv. Like, oh, you have to meet her. You have to meet her. And and then I had a friend who uh, is discipled by you, and so I just kept hearing your name around. And then we got connected um, as you were looking for someone to uh, work on this podcast. And and do the design, and the rest is history. It's so. so
0: beautiful. Well, I remember Jocelyn was actually at the very first unofficial some days here gathering at our friend Jamie's living room. And I remember, Jocelyn, you were sitting on the couch, and you had your iPad out, and you took notes. <laughs> it wasn't even the iPad. It was actually pen and paper. Yeah. A Muji pen. Was it a Muji pen? It, it wasn't a Muji pen, but it was a Japanese pen. <laughs> okay, so Japanese pen, but she just in a blank, like no lines, just cl- like a cream colored, really nice paper. But she literally took my entire talk and transformed it into the beautiful graphics that you see. So we'll get all of that you know sometime during this conversation and obviously with the show notes, but blew me away because you're able to synthesize mm-hmm. while taking in content and then you were making like words and phrases i mean, how like tell me how do you do that cuz you do that <laughs> regularly the, i've yes. seen you do that with truth's table i mean you
1: mm-hmm. just how do you do that tell me the process a little bit it's it's uh it's years and years of doing this so um i first learned like cursive and handwriting and stuff from my mom my mom uh, homeschooled us when we were younger and so she'd always make it really really important that we had to have like really good handwriting and like the, the, the cursive had to look like really perfect and angled the right way um, and I really fell in love with handwriting and over time it just became like it was in the beginning like a lot of kids like doodling your notes for mm-hmm. school doodling your notes for class for AP lit for AP US you know just like different <laughs> things in high school And then it transformed into like, oh, I really love doing this. I'm just going to start taking notes this way. Um, And I remember seeing uh, Stefan Kunz, who he's a lettering artist from Switzerland. And he had this Bible journal in which he just had uh, these full pages of notes of like, oh, I read this chapter in Mm. the scriptures. And then I just copied every, like wrote out everything that I learned in that page I was like, that's amazing. So in 2015, that's when I first bought my own journal to start doing Mm -hmm. that. And then I just started doing it for everything. And over time, over the last five years, it's been a a really cool process of learning how to think quickly about composition, to internalize information that I'm getting, but also to communicate it in a way that both expresses how I felt when I received the information, but Mm. also articulate in a way that is uh, digestible for someone who's reading it. So, over multiple, multiple times of doing this, it's just gotten a lot easier. And now we're here. So now I have wow. an
0: iPad. <laughs> and now you have an iPad and I've seen you actually, I just, I, I'll watch you, you know, you're just kind of, you, you just kind of get into this zone and I'm like, uh-huh. I can't wait. I yeah. can't
1: wait. I can't wait.
0: So, so, oh, I love, it. well, before we go into your journey, I would love to, for our Sundays here listeners, like, you know, yes. I have had, So many people ask me, like, who is the brilliance behind the design, you know, the background. So tell me a little bit of when you were creating, like, we got together, you and Mm -hmm. I, at Starbucks, of course. And I kind of laid out some, you know, vision for what we were hoping to have for this this community and the vision Mm -hmm. for Asian American women and leadership and ethnic journey. And so you came up with Mm -hmm. this incredible design. I'd love for you to, like... (laughs) pull out like Mm. what you were thinking and what the symbols Mm -hmm. meant. So go for it. Just, I'm so excited.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really fun being able to create this logo, uh, especially because what I appreciate about you so much is that you are a woman filled with vision uh, and like really uh, understand and celebrate deep meaning. And so that's something that I did want to do in this logo. Uh, I remember like the squiggle lines being Mm -hmm. symbolizing of water of many of us are, are from like over the Pacific uh, um, Mm -hmm. from families that immigrated uh, over generations. Um, There's like two circles in there of remember like the, the symbolism of like risings and settings of suns of of different generations that are passing one another as we share intergenerationally. Um, There's like two parallel lines as well of like, uh, that we walk parallel to each other along this journey. There's different layers that are on top of each mm. other because we are complex people. Um, yes. And I remember the tick marks being kind of like a clock of like, hey, like someday is here. It, it's yes. arrived. It's here. And so all of these things with like the yellow being uh, a, like a reclaiming of that of that color and that word uh, mm. um, of, a, of as a celebration and also red. I remember red is just in many East Asian and maybe like more Chinese cultures as well uh symbolizing like you know like richness and prosperity and Mm -hmm. and luckiness and all these things so again all of those things put together was just then what birthed out of the uh this little logo over here so oh
0: my goodness yeah this
1: little logo I'm so
0: proud of it like that was the <laughs> old, like, I had goosebumps just hearing the description mm. again, but honestly, that was so important to me. Like it just mm. was like, because perception is reality. And, and when mm-hmm. I think of how Asian Americans have been portrayed, for example, in Hollywood,
1: yeah. we're always yeah. the
0: villain or the sidekick or, you know, the, the goofy one with no social skills or, you know, however mm-hmm. it was, but that so many people who have no Asian friends, Asian American friends. Mm-hmm just assume that that's what we're all like. We're all good at math. You know, we Mm -hmm. all know Kung Fu or something ridiculous Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And so for something to look really excellent
1: was so important. Mm -hmm. So I just love that you brought your... And that wasn't in that like weird, like... You know that like brushstroke writing yes. typeface ah, that like they do yes. for everything. You know, I like, know, and Chinese the bamboo, bamboo shape. Onto... No. Yeah, and and just <laughs> and it, it was it was a good exercise for me even to think in reclaiming for myself of like what mm. does Asian American art and graphic design look like? Yeah, apart from what it has been, which has been more harmful or like monolithic than it has been yes. good. And so yes. that was good for me because I was like. I have to reimagine for myself uh, mm-hmm. what branding even looks like for us. Uh, yes. In a distinctly Asian American and yet discarding <laughs> these uh, maybe tropes of graphic design that are associated with being Asian. So, Absolutely.
0: oh my yeah. gosh. Yes. Yes. And yes. That's why I think <laughs> the, the other part when we did the live event and how mm-hmm. it looked mm-hmm. was so, mm-hmm. I mean, and Kenny Wong, I mean, and everything he touches is you know, <laughs> of gold as well, of course, we'll have a little shout, shout, out, to shout Kenny. out to you, Kenny. Yes. <laughs> always shout out to Kenny too. But it just, to me, visually, it was just so important that it was not, um, it, it just, it, there was just a sense of excellence and beauty mm. and, and still distinctly Asian American, which you did it. So mm. I just, I just love that. So yes. I'm Thanks. so, so proud of our logo and the design and I just, I'm just so mm-hmm. proud of you too. So, okay. So Jocelyn, you. share with us yeah. and the listeners, I'd love to hear some of your ethnic journey. Tell us about
1: jo- just who you are and tell us your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to read a poem. Uh, I was listening back to all the different Some Days Here um, podcasts and I, yeah, I wanted to read a poem that I wrote, actually, to share a bit about myself, and and I think that will kind of set the stage of who I am and what my story is like, so I'll I'll read it. I am from a rich legacy of faith originated in the countryside of southern Taiwan. I am from my great-grandparents' dairy farm, of mango trees during the summertime, stories of tying strings to Japanese beetles and a house full of cousins. I am from the sound of my great-grandmother, my Ma'atzou, her prayers, the inflections of her alto voice, her four-foot-something stature, her quiet nature, her devotion to Jesus, her frail hands peeling lima beans, her matriarchal presence. I am from three generations of family immigrating simultaneously, building a legacy through chain migration. I am from grandparents who told me countless times, never say you're Chinese, you are Taiwanese. I am from story, my grandparents' stories of 228 Erba and watching their old bodies shake with pain and trauma describing that day. I am from Julie Amma's love of music and worship, her hands flying on piano keys, the constant sound of classical KUSC on the radio, the memories of crying over piano lessons with her, from the awe of her daily prayers to the family tree. I am from Jean Akong's inquisitive mind, always building something, always innovating, always curious, always asking questions, always a student, always taking joys in the silliest and strangest of things. I am from Keiko Ama's poem studying, her remarks about auspicious noses, her scolding and her overwhelming love, her feistiness, her visions, her tears, her complexities, her words, Ama Jing Tiani, ringing in my heart, the sound of NHK on TV, bowing and saying, I am from Keo Akong's irises planted in the backyard, his prophetic words over my life as a baby, the sounds of his rhymes and his jokes, longing that I had more time. I am from being born in a foreign land to immigrant parents in a trilingual household in Southern California. I am from my mom, her eyes crinkled, head thrown back, laughter and her unbelievable endurance, her swallowed pain and her loneliness her dedication to everything and every person in her life. I am from her learning spirit, her youthful energy, her homeschooling and substitute teaching. I am from our dysfunction, our misexpectations and miscommunications, our yelling, our makeup meals, our joy, our growing, our forgiving. I am from her handwritten notes packed inside lovingly assembled lunches, endless platters of cut fruit and smells of masuitam rubbed on my chest at night. I am from the aroma of her neuroman and lobabong filling up the house, up the stairs, the smells of home. I am from her years of caretaking, of sacrifice, of gentle touch, and handwritten letters tucked away in backpacks and suitcases. I am from my baba's dream-chasing, lighthearted silliness, laughter. I am from the sounds of his action movies, the smells of cigarettes wafting into my room, his constant photo-taking, his obscure hobbies. I am from his love of apple pie, his t-shirts with American flags, his thick but warm accent, the sound of his knees crackling when they go up the stairs. I am from his broken dreams and inconsistencies, the excruciating confusion of his abandonment, the hidden pain of his absence. I am from his sudden disappearances and sudden reappearances, the welcoming back of a stranger from overseas. I am from his unresolved trauma, his deeply internalized pain and defeat. I am from his sporadic conversations that turned into moments of healing, warm moments that quickly chilled, moments of decision that ripped me apart and healed me. I am from my older sister, my Didye, my second mom, my friend. I am from her unending hospitality, her full body laughter, her tears of compassion, her questions of whether I've eaten yet, her overwhelmingly thoughtful generosity, her constant prayers and watchful eye. I am from my brother-in-law's loyalty and faithfulness, his steadiness and dependability, from long conversations that went long into the night, quantity and quality time. I am from my older brother's endless facts and knowledge, his dependability and advice, his hidden care through his sacrifices, light night texts, chopping it up. I am from growing up in his shadow to being uplifted by his light. I am from my little brother's memes, his light heart, deep mind, his keen observations, the sound of his laughter through the house, ordinary moments that are turning sacred. I am from my two nieces, Bailey and Leah, who call me mei and the warmth of that treasured name. I am from their purity of compassion, their young and inquisitive hearts, their ability to observe and generously give, the sound of them singing, their uncontrollable joy. I am from moments silently coloring with them soothing my weird moments they have to me moments I felt broken and overwhelmed that were restored by their presence I am from a family tree that stands like a sequoia, loud laughter with the house brimming with cousins and generations the sound of the words I am from names, oral stories and full lifetimes in my bones breath and being I am from their dreams yet to be realized pain yet to be healed and hope that lives on in my very existence wow <laughs> I, I remember you sharing
0: that off your phone in Starbucks and my eyes welling up with tears. And once again, I can't like, it's, you just, oh, you just captured so beautifully. So many nuances. So thank you. That was just mm-hmm. incredible, Jocelyn. Really, really grateful. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. Okay. So let's pick it apart a little bit. because yeah. I love what you brought in and your man which means you know beef and, mm-hmm. beef and stuff like there's just so mm-hmm. you mentioned like you you know your grandparents told you you're not Chinese you're Taiwanese like mm-hmm. help help me understand help our listeners understand yeah. the and why
1: yeah I refer back to a uh, Judy Wu Dominic's episode. Mm-hmm. She, she chops it up pretty well yeah. and explains. So I will d- I will defer to her. But her uh, her and my family are very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been in Taiwan for generations upon generations. Um, there's a lot of historical pain uh, between the Chinese and the Taiwanese. Um, a lot of it being political. Um, and yeah, especially with the Kuomintang that came in, uh, there was a lot of pain, especially. During or er, again, I'm gonna just refer back to Judy Wood Dominic because she uh, really parses that out a lot better, and and I don't want to give more information that has already been shared. But um, yeah, it it was really instilled in me growing up that like you are Taiwanese, um, and that is your, like your pride and your joy, and we spoke Taiwanese growing up. Um, in my home. I shared a little bit in the poem. Um, That was like our main language with English um, and then Mandarin all together. So again, trilingual, uh, usually the conversations in any circumstance in any house of any reunion that we have with all of our family is all three together, all Mm, mixed together. mm. Um, And so that, that is the sound of home for me. Um, my, my grandma on my dad's side, she doesn't speak Mandarin at all. So she mm-hmm. only speaks Japanese and Taiwanese. And so because of that, uh, and growing up with her being five minutes down the road, uh, the, my siblings and I all learned Taiwanese for, through that, for, for mm-hmm. that reason to be able to communicate with her. And so that that is the sound of home. That is uh, in many ways what I'm proud of, of being Taiwanese is that um, yeah Taiwanese Hokkien is like the, the language of resistance mm. um, the language of, of when the Chinese came in saying like you can only speak Mandarin um, they they continued to speak on this language that is not written mm. and it's a dialect and and it's dying in Taiwan now because of, of years and years of trying to wipe out this language but there's kind of a mm. rebirth that's happening and mm. and so I have a lot of pride as as a young 24 year old, you know, mm-hmm. who's, uh, in the newer generation, um, carrying on within me this language, uh, that really unlocks something for me every time it's mm. spoken. So, mm. yeah, that is so beautiful.
0: There's something so powerful about language. I think there, mm. the identification, I mean, as important as food and the smells of home, but I think language, Yes, what we're able to, um, there are it be so I grew up speaking some Chinese because my grandma didn't speak mm-hmm. English mm-hmm. and our, my grandma lived with us and I realized mm-hmm. that there are certain things that we can't quite nail in English that you can in another mm-hmm. language you know mm-hmm. and so I just mm-hmm. I love that there's that continuation um and with yeah with Darren being from Hawaii um, and mm-hmm. part Native Hawaiian. It's really fun. My mm-hmm. oldest son Jonathan has been really investing time into learning Native mm-hmm. Hawaiian because, for the same reason, it's dying mm-hmm. out, and these generations are missing mm-hmm. out. But there's so much richness and texture that really helps, yeah, like enhance the culture because of the language.
1: Yeah,
0: I yes. didn't know that there yes. was not
1: a written. So it's just hmm It's usually just Chinese pronounced a different way mm. or people will phonetically spell out in Chinese what, it, what it's supposed to be said in Taiwanese. Like,
0: okay. Yes.
1: Okay? So it did, makes no sense in Chinese, but they're phonetically writing it out. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I learned something. This is so good. Well, <laughs> I would love to hear, like, I mean, you've definitely um, kind of touched on, you know, just the pride that you have as a Taiwanese American. Mm-hmm. Like, do is there mm-hmm. anything else you want to add to that? Like what, you know, points that, you know, the pr- the good kind of pride.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. And as a Taiwanese American. <laughs> I, I mean, even in being Taiwanese American, I think I have a lot of pride that like Taiwanese Americans... Uh, And I can only speak, again, from my own experience, right, as a West Coast. Mm, Yeah, that's uh, true. West Coast-born, West Coast-born Taiwanese person in Southern California, you know, all these different complexities, but I can only speak from that experience, but. Even um, when I think about growing up for me, I think about YouTube. I think about Asian YouTube, which mm. was like the foundation of me growing up. Yeah. And so many Taiwanese Americans were creators, you know, mm-hmm. like Wang Fu Productions. Yes. Um, yeah, they, they were the storytellers and creators of our time and were paving the way for representation and community mm. and like collective identity mm-hmm. um, even before maybe like the last two years, you know, mm-hmm. Um. And so I, I'm really proud of that. Even Alan Yang with the release of Tiger Tail um, mm. on Netflix, which plug for him because yes. uh, Taiwanese that, still. that movie, has it's it's Taiwanese. There's Taiwanese spoken in there. There's Mandarin mm. spoken in there. You see the legacy of the history through the generations and understanding what terror looked like in Taiwan from the Kuomintang, yeah. even to understanding the loneliness that comes from immigrating. And so, mm. again, storytellers, I... I I feel so proud that we're storytellers Mm. and that we are people who, um, I come from like a legacy of writers in my family. Mm -hmm. Like my grandpa's a writer, he's a poet. My mom is also a writer when she was younger. Um, and so there's language that has been, uh, written into our communities in some ways and, and in a way Again, we, we get to be part of the storytelling. Mm. There is a flip side of like we don't represent everyone, right? We don't represent all of the Asian community, and sometimes we dominate those spaces a little too much. Mm. Um, but there there is something that I am really proud of 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 those years in between growing up with Wong Fu Productions, mm-hmm. growing up with different Asian American creators, um, Asian American makeup YouTubers, you yes. know, uh, learning and understanding who I was understanding how to do these wings on my eyes. That's right, that's right. (laughs) Uh, It's all all come, it's come from that. Mm. So I'm proud of those things and being uh, Asian American, yeah.
0: I love that. You know, it's so fascinating to me because I think about, like how we've talked about how representation matters. And then to think mm-hmm. about how Asians did take over YouTube with millions of subscribers, you know, and there was oh, yeah. a place to really, um, I remember seeing a Filipino artist. I can't remember his name, but he, one of his gifts was to pay off the mortgage for his parents. And he did that as a mm-hmm. YouTube star. And I just bawled mm-hmm. and bawled and bawled. But mm-hmm. there was actually the, the creation the creativity had to be expressed and because there was no way to get yeah. into mainstream Hollywood, it was like, let's take over YouTube. Yeah, And I just, I love that.
1: Yeah, I love that. Yes. That is beautiful. Yeah. And all those Asian YouTubers are super like connected and in community with each other too, even now, you know, like yes. they continue the, this community that they've built up. Um, which is really cool. So, anyway, I love that.
0: And that to me, again, is another nod to our collective. Like, we just, we're, mm-hmm. we always are thinking about who else is out there and how can we support one another and who's coming after mm-hmm. us and who, who are the ones that pave the way. And we're always grateful for it. Yeah. So, it's just, I love that display of Asian awesome. So, <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> so good. <laughs> this week's Did You Know is about boba more than what meets the eye. Did you know that the first U.S. boba shops were established in California in the 1990s? The love for boba has exploded in recent years. There are sometimes even several boba shops and one shopping center in various ethnoburbs such as the San Gabriel Valley, and recent scholarship in the past 15 years has revealed what many of us as Asian Americans may have felt but never been able to fully put into words. These boba shops have not only been significant places for Taiwanese American youth, but have also developed to reflect Asian American youth culture. It's become a safe space where the vast, complex and multifaceted Asian American youth community can come together to learn and share about the beautiful and at times painful complexities of being Asian American. While we often think about transmission of history, culture, and identity as a vertical movement between generations, Boba Shops have allowed for the horizontal dissemination of stories and experiences as Asian American youth learn from each other what it means to navigate life as an Asian American. As Angel Traza states in her MA Asian American Studies thesis, Boba Shops help facilitate conversations about the, quote, salience of race and place in shaping how Asian American young adults negotiate their self-identity, community belonging, and cultural imaginaries, end of quote. And that's this week's Did You Know? So flipping that then, what for you, when you think Mm -hmm. about it, what are some of your points of pain or have been?
1: How big of an exhale can I take on <laughs> in, in my mic? Um, so much pain. Um, and I mean, it's it's been for me, the last five years have been especially integral. So since 2015, um, in understanding both uh, racial justice issues, but also within my own ethnic identity, Um the, I think the prevalence of how white supremacy goes deep into the minds of East Asians mm. uh, is so painful. I see, I see that in myself, even as I'm recovering from all these white supremacist ideas that have been. I was sharing with someone yesterday like, uh, that it's like was in the water in the baby formula that I was grown up in. Mm. And it's so deep within me to value white bodies, to value whiteness over myself that it is this silent racial oppression that has been Mm -hmm. the most painful parts. You know, I have the same stories with many of the podcast people and other podcast guests. And um, many Asian Americans have, you know, of like, how many times do we have to say it? Like Ching Chong, Ling Long, pulling off, Mm -hmm. pulling their like uh, uh, eyes back, joking about eating dog. My youth pastor used to joke about that all the time. He was Mm -hmm. a Cambodian refugee, but has a lot of, internalized racism and just would project it on me all the time. Mm. And like, it would, it would then allow for the whole youth group, which I went to a predominantly white church growing up, uh, to, to say these things to me. Mm. Uh, They would, they would, they would joke also about those things. They would like come up to me talking in different accents and he would laugh and And I would just laugh and then feel the sickness of shame and embarrassment like well up inside me, but I had no language for it. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I just know that I'm different and I don't, I just know that I need to cover whatever different is. And so I I had this duality of like at youth group, I was like, I need to be white. My youth pastor, when he was younger, he literally told me in middle school, he was joking because he was single at the time. He was like, Jocelyn, if it ain't white, it ain't right like mm-hmm. about his dating life. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I laughed. And even now I look back, think back and these are beloved people in mm-hmm. my life. Right. Mm-hmm. I still have a relationship with them, beloved people. They've formed me, um, in so many ways, they, they were mentors to me. Um, and yet they have caused me some of the most deepest areas mm-hmm. of pain and growing up in this very white, um, evangelical environment. And so, things like that. I mean, the eyelid things Mm -hmm. (laughs) of like uh, years and years of just trying to like rub and rub at my eyelids until they creased and trying to make Mm -hmm. sure that they were perfectly creased. Um, And when they didn't, trying to use tape, but then feeling ashamed that the tape was exposed Mm -hmm. and um, not knowing what to do. My sister got eyelid surgery too. And so how do you capture how much pain there is? And the continued, I think, the silent oppression of uh, erasure, which is the pain of Asian-Americans, which is continually being erased yeah. um, and being, and even self-erasure. Yeah. Like I don't even deserve to have my story being told. Mm-hmm. I don't even deserve to take up space. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't deserve for you to listen to this podcast. You know, yeah. just all these different things with, within ourselves that we're like, do people even want to hear our stories? And mm-hmm. uh, it's this heavy weight of pain that comes from, white white supremacy, uh, that tells us our story doesn't matter our trauma. Um, and even through the the legacy of cultural values too, right. Of our parents and grandparents and great grandparents went through so many different painful things like I shared in my poem. Mm -hmm. Um, that they they still don't know. It's hidden pain to them. Yeah. Um until you you bring it out and it's like, oh, this has been intact for like 90 years. Yeah. This whatever pain that they've and, and that's in my being too. Mm. And so mm. <laughs> I know this is kind of intense, but I mean there's there's so many different levels of pain of in, in being Asian American. Um but the thing that I think about the most is silence. Mm. Um the silence that's been pressed upon us.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh that is so poignant. And I I I think it's it's really one I mean, one of the biggest pieces of feedback that I get from listeners to our podcast are the mm. Asian American women mm. who say, "Yes, you're just describing my lived experience, but mm. I never had words."
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I think you did just that just now and I just think there's just a lot of heads nodding mm. like, "Okay, I get what you're talking about, and and it, it is, and it's just you're not alone. You're not alone, but but sometimes we'd be left to feel that way, and then it's that awkward, like ha ha, but no, that wasn't funny, you know, and trying to mm-hmm. navigate that. And I think one more layer on top of that, growing up with immigrant parents, they didn't have the wherewithal yeah. to help navigate that, so. I just think no. even the language barrier and some other things, but it's like I just mm-hmm. didn't have resources. And I think our, uh, there's a whole generation without the uh, ability to navigate that. You know, like I think, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully with my own children, they've had a little bit more navigation because I have at least lived experience mm-hmm. to help them walk through that. But that's not necessarily the yeah. case for the first generation. Or earlier generations. Totally. So that makes so much Mm -hmm. sense. Yes, Mm -hmm. for sure, for sure. Yeah. Wow, that's so good. Well, um, (sighs) I would love to hear just for you, kind of some of your North Stars or leadership principles of what you have kind of absorbed or Mm. really um, admire or want to pass on or hope to live by. So the floor is yours.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, uh, man. There's so many things, and again, I feel so young in these conversations about leadership. I still feel like one who is taking in so much information, you know, and and learning, and and not even growing into my own leadership. And um, a few things I think about is that, um, I mean, a, a basic thing is that, like, you as an Asian American woman can. And will be a leader. Mm. <laughs> it's like so simple, but um, I grew up genuinely believing that was not ever going to be possible for me. Mm. Um, and I grew up diminishing and suppressing that within myself. I was like, I have leadership capabilities, but, but no, no, no. Like it's not me. It's you know, like, uh, like don't put me in the spotlight. Like my leadership. No, no, no. Like I'm not a leader. Mm. Um, And like you are a leader, and it does not mean that it's countercultural to your values, to who you are, to be a leader. And Mm. uh, even when I think within my family, my like East Asian values are very often patriarchal, right? But within my family, it's it's a matriarch. Mm. We always define it by my atzol, my great grandma, Mm. who. You know, she, she is the matrix of our family and then through my grandma and then through my mom. Mm. And so we have these strong women that I've been defined by my whole life, which I'm like, well, but why weren't they ever asked to pray? Mm. They weren't asked to pray or to, to like share or like, you know, speak during family gatherings and stuff, but they are our leaders. Mm. And so you as an Asian American woman, first of all, like you can, and you will be a leader. Mm. Um, Another great piece of advice that I have gotten that I'm still wrestling with is like ruthlessly destroy your pride and ego, even as you claim your calling. Um, And that's it's hard because, again, sometimes as Asian-Americans, we diminish our voice, diminish our own appearance and all of these things. And yet at the same time, how do we learn to also root out pride as Mm. as leaders, because the best leaders are humble leaders. Yeah. The best leaders know how to give a proper apology. Yes. Um, that's another piece of advice. There's, I'm astounded by how few leaders know how to give a true apology. Yes. And um, if anything, devote yourself to learning how to apologize properly, mm-hmm. um, to really hear and to grow in emotional awareness and understand how to ask for forgiveness, mm. uh, und- understand how to claim when you have... Um, yeah, when you've messed up, Mm -hmm. when you've caused harm, Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not you intended it to to just just acknowledge and empathize and repent. And, and yeah, and I think that that is something that I've learned a lot, um, especially recently through the many different uh, women in my life who have been mentors and also different men who have been such strong mentors to me as well. Like, these are the lessons that I've continued to learn from them as I've, Grown into my own leadership and my own voice.
0: Mm, That's so good. That's so good. And I think it's so often that we have a very Western view of leadership. So we kind of Mm -hmm. think of it as, you know, very. Confident, outspoken, driven—you yeah. know, like the the quarterback and all of that. When mm-hmm. I think, like, we're certainly right now in the midst of COVID nineteen, and the countries that have done the best have been women <laughs> in leadership. Yeah, because I think we're collective and we yes. take in the viewpoints of many and can hold intention mm. a lot of that. And mm-hmm. um, it doesn't necessarily leadership does not have that one size fits all. But the principles of respect from those we lead, I think, comes through Mm -hmm. a life of integrity and what you talked about, that Mm -hmm. humility, the ability to apologize and not say, I'm sorry if you felt offended. It's owning it. Like, my words were offensive and they hurt you Mm -hmm. and I'm so sorry. Like that, Mm -hmm. I, I think that people who have been even hurt are very resilient And Mm -hmm. want Mm -hmm. really to have reconciliation once again, but, Mm -hmm. but it really does take an honest, like for real humble apology. And I think as, as as someone who's following that weighs big for me, like I, I can follow a leader like that. I can follow someone who is willing to admit when they're wrong.
1: Yes. And I mean, it's such a strange time, right? I mean, the, person in the white house is occupying the office like he, he doesn't apologize or know how to apologize and there are times where even we are warped to be like okay well leadership looks very strange right now mm-hmm. in america very strange um and and within that being like well but to be a leader is a humble leader like yeah. what profound beautiful thing is it uh to earn the trust of the people that you lead yeah. by apologizing yeah. and admitting humility yeah um, it's a powerful thing. And so uh, another piece of advice as well that I've gotten is like, go to counseling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. as a, as a leader, yeah. go to counseling, yeah. take time to rest. I'm preaching to myself. Even mm-hmm. as I say these things, like mm-hmm. I've been in counseling the last uh, year and a half and it's been uh, life transforming for me. I yeah. have an Asian American uh, therapist and it's been life transforming. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to invest in ourselves and deem ourselves as worthy, especially again, as Asian American women, we, uh, maybe this is generalizing, but I watched within my mom and my, the matrix in our family work themselves to the bone and take pride as well mm-hmm. in doing that, you know, like mm-hmm. never say anything, but like working to the bone and, and weighed heavily by like this heavy burden of life that they've been carrying. Yeah. Um, but at the expense of their souls, yeah. at the expense of their well-being, of their actual bodies. Yeah. Like, I think about my my Gimbal, who's my great aunt. She literally took care of my great grandma, her mother-in-law, mm-hmm. for like seventy years, sixty years. It was crazy. Um, and by the end of her life, her. I know the listeners can't see this, but she literally could only walk with her her back completely bent over. Wow. She couldn't even look up like her wow. entire back had been given to support the family wow. to 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 care for the leaders and she's a leader in our family mm-hmm. when my great grandma died she became the matriarch and so at the expense of our bodies sometimes our physical mm-hmm. bodies so like that means like eating well and eating things that make you feel alive and not numb mm-hmm. that means like mm-hmm. like doing yoga if that's like what your full body prayer looks like yeah. like doing yoga to stretch out go to a chiropractor, yeah. go to acupuncture, yeah. go to the Korean spa, but not during COVID because that's not <laughs> good. But maybe after they oh, reopen, yeah. but scrub mm-hmm. down your body, you know, mm-hmm. like exfoliate it yeah. and uh, take care of yourself so that you can live on and, and continue to lead in a way that's healthy. Yeah. Because um, many leaders burn out fast, mm-hmm. um, burn the candle at like, all ends. Mm-hmm. And then they burn out and then they're bitter and angry and all these things. Not that anger is bad, but it it, po- it can poison when it comes from having lead without being rejuvenated and yes. filled into too. So oh, that
0: totally yeah. resonates. I'm thinking about even how, like even to this day now, my mom, like she doesn't want to receive gifts. She doesn't want to, mm. you know, they have the means for her to dress beautifully, but she yeah, to wear the same, you know, house. It's that dress. It's like, Chinese, like, could she, yeah. right? you know, like, it's like, oh no, oh, no it's like, okay. No, no, no. And she's no, no, super no. generous with the grandkids and with me. But yeah. I just think how helpful it would have been for me to see my mom be good to herself because that would then mm. help me to know that that was okay. Because I've had to do, mm-hmm. I've had to go to counseling as well, you know, but just to kind of work through that. It's yes. not selfish. And that, no. you know, the, this investment when I'm good to myself actually helps my sons and daughter to, mm-hmm. I'm modeling for them, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and the joy that I feel when my mom does spend some mm-hmm. money and buys a nice coat or whatever. And I'm just like, yes, thank you. So it's like, as my daughter sees me choosing to dress nicely or put makeup on or get my hair done or anything like that, I feel like it gives her the freedom to realize that this is okay to do. And Those are soul nourishing things. Yes. Yes. And we model that. So that would be our like you know, a little free, free takeaway for listeners. But, you know, if you struggle <laughs> with doing, cause it's like, as a mom, I would sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so it's not an issue at all that anyone else in my family go to therapy, but to yeah. spend that kind of money yeah. on me just feels like, oh, yes. should be going towards meat mm-hmm. or, you know, rice <laughs> or something <laughs> for the family. <laughs> you know, just uh-huh. ridiculous uh-huh. where, where yeah, I'm not yeah. actually getting a bigger picture that, the healthiest me is actually going to help serve my family in a Amen. way. Amen. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. So no, that's a yes. great word. That is a really great word. Wow. Okay. Well, let's turn to a fun topic. Um, favorite comfort <laughs> food, Jocelyn, what is your favorite Asian comfort food?
1: Oh God, there's so many.
0: Um, (laughs) It's a really hard question. Of all the questions, this may be the hardest one. It
1: truly is. I mean, there's rarely a time that I'm not craving Asian food. Mm -hmm. Um, Rarely, rarely, very rarely. Um, I mean, I share them in in my poem too, but neuromian and loba Bung. So uh is Taiwanese beef noodle soup, Mm -hmm. like braised beef, braised beef that is like tender and like hand-pulled noodles that are, uh, I don't know if listeners know what QQ means, but QQ is this like Taiwanese phrase for like this, literally like the texture of chewiness, like mm. QQ. So um, <laughs> like awesome. things, that we say, things that we say are QQ are like boba's QQ, mm. like mm. Uh, fresh noodles are QQ. So that okay. texture. Um, so yeah, Neuromian mian is one of them. And then loba Feng, which is a uh, Taiwanese braised pork over rice. Oh, mm. so good. Mm. Uh, just like, Fresh bowl of rice, with, like fluffy, like little rice pieces, and then and then like the minced pork or like big chunks of pork, and then the sauce that just like like glazing all over the rice. Oh, it's so good! Oh my um, goodness! Yeah, that is those are my favorite, and those just remind me of home because my mom would make those so often. Mm-hmm. And again, the smells of it in the house um, are really comforting to me. So, whenever I'm sad. Um, it's the, it's usually those foods that like bring me back to life. Yeah.
0: Uh, so oh those are yeah. so great. Those are so great. Have you learned how to Yummy. make it yourself?
1: I have. Ooh, I have.
0: Jocelyn,
1: I have. So and pretty. I I I mean not to my more, but it's like pretty good. Hey, <laughs> it's not that my mom my mom said it was good. So I was like, wow. I mean. I've made it if my mom thinks it's good. She's like, oh, it's better than mine. I'm like, okay, no, it's not better than yours. It tastes, it tastes different. It has like, it has like her love put in there. Yes. I, I don't have the mother's love piece yet, so <laughs> maybe once I'm a mom, that will somehow get transferred Infused into my recipe, into the broth. <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, yes, oh yes. Goodness, that's
0: so great. Well, we will definitely need to eat that together at some point here. I would love, Let love, love things. that. Well, how can listeners find you? Tell us your website. They've got to come see your lettering, your artwork. I mean, oh, so good. Tell us everything. Thanks.
1: Um, well, I have a website, um, jocelynchung.co. Um, that, C-O. Uh, that is my website. You can find all my work there, my lettering work, resources, things like that. I have a shop with prints and stickers available as well. Um, and then Instagram is usually where people <laughs> find uh, me. Is also at Jossa kitty llama it's a little funny uh name but j-o-c-e kitty llama that is my instagram handle and then i'm also on patreon now Ooh, as of like yesterday so it's very exciting you. um yeah you can find me on patreon if you'd like to support my work and see some behind the scenes uh views of my art and my process nice. so if, if you wish that you were in the room like vivian watching me do those yes. notes i will post videos mm-hmm. of my process on there and And just share more about my faith and anti-racism journey and decolonization of my faith and a continuation of learning that Mm. continues on um, every day. So I love it. And also... That's where you can find me. We'll link all the stuff in the show notes as well.
0: And I remember there was a video that you did for Alabaster where you were painting.
1: Yeah. So maybe yeah, you I'll, can share that my link. My buddies at Alabaster. Oh, yes.
0: Maybe you could share a link there yeah. too so people could see that. That was really, really beautiful. So.
1: Shout out to Alabaster Yay. and Brian Chung. Yeah, um, Both Brian Chungs. They're yes. great. Yeah. Brian and Brian. Oh, that's so fun. I love it. I love it. So
0: great. Well, Jocelyn, thank you so much for being such an amazing guest on the Some Days Here podcast. <laughs> Love having you and I cannot wait to see what the next five years and the next 50 years brings as you Mm -hmm. continue to walk in all of who you are. So thank you for being such an incredible, incredible gift to all of us.
1: What a gift, man. Thank you, Viv. I appreciate you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah.
0: Right. Was Jocelyn not the best? Oh my goodness. 24-year-old, fiery, fierce, fabulous Jocelyn. Um, my call to action for all of you listening today is go and check out her work. Follow her on Instagram and check out her Patreon, support her work. Um, go over to her, her website and order some stickers and prints and um, Let's just rally behind Jocelyn with all we've got. All of her links are in the show notes. Um, Check it out. And thank you so much again for being part of this community and sharing this podcast with your friends. Thank you for subscribing and uh, reviewing. Um, All of those reviews and uh, ratings help other people find the podcast. So thank you for doing that and sharing this podcast with your friends. So Wow, we have so many amazing people coming up in the coming weeks, so buckle your seatbelts. We're here for season three. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week. As always, we appreciate your feedback and invite you to subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast to help others find this show. The outstanding team that makes Some Days Here possible is composed of an incredible group of men and women. The Somedays Here logo and graphics are designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with PassionNet Production. The show notes and quotes are compiled by Vicky Fan. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The Did You Know section is researched and written by Elise Izumi. The creative design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantelle Reynolds. Have a great week and we look forward to bringing you another episode of Sunday is Here next week.